So I got into urban farming as a way of uh, getting my sort of my feet wet with learning about how to use the land and farm as I scaled it into a pretty profitable business. Consistent, hard work over long periods. Hello and welcome to the Permaculture Vine podcast. Today we have Curtis Stone. Welcome, Curtis. Happy to be here. Uh, do you want to just give yourself a quick introduction there, a 30 second one, if you can squeeze all, all the stuff you do under that? Sure, sure, sure. Uh, yeah. Um, people knew me as the urban farmer. That's kind of how I got my start doing urban farming in a town called Kelowna, BC, Canada. Showed people how to make a profit on a very small piece of land. And uh, I got out of the city during the COVID stuff and got onto a large uh, acreage where now I'm doing a lot more permaculture, broad acre type work. And uh, yeah, showing people how to live off grid and, and, and you know, take control of their uh, freedom and liberty, uh, you know, trying to find that that prosperity on the land. Yeah, I, I think it's something we, we all need to learn about at the moment. Uh, so I checked before, I'm, I've actually subscribed to you in March 2018, so six years I've been watching you. <laughs> so quite a while back to the microgreens and the urban farming. Yes, right. Uh, so is a permaculture podcast, we discuss careers, education, business, when did you hear about permaculture? When did you first sort of encounter it? Oh, man. Um, I mean, a long time ago at this point, probably probably over 20 years ago, I heard about permaculture uh, and Bill Mollison. But um, yeah, I really got into it in about, would have been 2006, 2007. I was really interested in earth ships. And I was living in Montreal, a big city in Canada at that time. And I uh, was just looking for, I always wanted to be closer to the land and live off the land as best as I could. And so I kind of heard about it back then and um, had Bill Mollison's books and then started reading David Holmgren's books as well. And uh, and then, you know, the litany of other great permaculture uh, writers, Toby Hemingway and uh, Robert Hart, uh, his book on forest gardens, um, that kind of stuff. That's where I. That's where I started, really. Yeah, and then did that influence you starting your and then how, uh, so you started off, wasn't it? Uh, urban farming, growing in other people's gardens. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah, and yeah, and so you know, I, I I was always my heart was always interested in permaculture and broad acre design stuff, doing all the earthworks and all that stuff, but. That just wasn't available to me when I was getting started. So I got into urban farming as a way of uh, getting my sort of my feet wet with learning about how to use the land and farm and all that. Uh, but it turned out to be a great living as well. I scaled it into a pretty profitable business. And so, yeah, I got into urban farming people's front and backyards because it's what was available to me. I couldn't just find land to, to buy for sure. I couldn't afford that back then. Um, but so I started basically borrowing people's yards and the deal was I'll grow the vegetables, I'll sell them and everything. And each week I would bring the, uh, the owners a, a big basket of veggies that came from all the different gardens. Cause sometimes I'd have to specialize certain gardens and certain things to get good crop rotations and whatnot. I couldn't have the same mix of everything and eight different plots that just wouldn't be efficient. And so I kind of had it organized that way, but I would, I would give them vegetables. And then I, I turned that into a pretty profitable business. You know, the first year 
I made $20,000 at it, which was good for, you know, a quarter acre of land with no experience. And then I doubled that every year for a few years in a row. And then uh, the farm grew in size and kind of had different iterations in the eight, eight or nine years that I did it. And, um, and yeah, I kind of actually stopped commercially farming in 2018 because my career as a public speaker and teacher and a consultant and online creator, uh, kind of took me in a direction that I never thought possible. So I kind of just started, I just kind of stayed with that. And then my, my context physically on the land has changed because now I'm just off grid in a very rural area. And I've got 40 acres, uh, most of it's forested, and I've got about eight acres of an area that I have most of my homestead in, all my firewood processing, all my gardens, greenhouses, and all that. So it's it's different than where it was, but a lot of the techniques and principles are still the same. Yeah. So, so you brought the permaculture principles into the uh, all the settings you've been on? Big time. Yeah, the, <laughs> the whole layout of my homestead is all based around basic permaculture design principles, you know, the zones, you know, looking at the zones and how the homestead is laid out zones, one, two, three, that's all, uh, in there. Um, everything I've learned about, um, terracing and, uh, moving water. I learned from permaculture, uh, Bill Mollison, Jeff Lawton, and all those guys, Darren Doherty learned a lot from him. Um, so yeah, yeah. Every, everything I'm doing now is a lot more permaculture focused than it was, uh, in the last 10 years. Yeah. I like the way you started off where you were, uh, so that's what we're trying to encourage people to do. Start where you are, yes. use, your, use your current resources, uh, and stop looking ahead. They watch someone who's 10, 15 years ahead of you and thinking, oh, I want that. That's just, uh, something I've learned anyway, over doing these podcasts, speaking to different people, uh, so see the way you started, you just went out. You, did you always have an entrepreneurial thing? And and like, what would you do? Uh, what advice would you give for people starting out like that? Yeah, I, I didn't always have an entrepreneurial spirit. I mean, I learned that I did a, my, my day job for many years was tree planting, was, was planting trees for the forestry industry in Canada. And that's all basically paid for by the logging companies. So the companies that log the, the areas, they have to pay to replant them. And so there's a whole industry, it's called silviculture. Um, I, I learned most of my entrepreneurial spirit in that job because that job, you get paid by the tree. So it's all make it or break it. You know, either you work really hard and make lots of money or you don't make anything at all. And so that sort of skin in the game mentality, I learned in my 20s. And I really attribute my success in the sense that, you know, you're talking to me and people know who I am, uh, to the fact that I was just willing to work harder for longer and in more unforgiving conditions than most people. And so that's really what I brought forward when I got into farming. Cause when I got into farming, I had zero experience. I'd never grown a vegetable in my life. I had zero experience. I went from knowing nothing to just doing it commercially with, with no transition in between. And um, it was basically my ability to just tough it out and work hard throughout any circumstance um, and push through the hard times, which which kind of got me to where I am now. So, yeah, for people who are, you know, thinking about getting on that journey themselves, I would say, I would echo a little bit what you said earlier about looking at what you have, assessing your resources, the things that you like doing, your skills, and kind of starting with what you have. But the key is, is to, to start, you have to start something. And 
And the, the problem we have today is that there's so much stuff online. There's so much stuff out there that people really have a defeatist attitude because even people today, and it's ironic when you know my history and you know my story, people today comment on my videos. Oh, well, nobody can be a millionaire like that. So how is he going to do that? And how ironic is that, that a guy who started on with very little money, I am where I am today, but it's, it's just a testament to just consistent hard work over long periods of time going through the, the, the toughest of circumstances. That's what it is. So if you get started, start today, it's never, it's never too late, but start with something and then, and then just keep pushing forward. Yeah. If it's, uh, what do they say? It's, it's easy to uh, change when you're moving and, and achieve things when you're moving or it's, it's hard to get that first step. Uh, it is. But I can't believe people say that because it's like, uh, well, you know yourself the amount of hard work and long days, long hours, uh, the thought you put on these systems. You wrote a book, <laughs> so it's, it's there yep. in the book, the work he did. So uh, that is quite strange. But I think somebody else says it's the comment. Oh, it must be nice, like. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, yeah, it must be nice. Yeah, I, I, I just showed up and all this stuff was here. You know. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> uh, and all, it wasn't like. 10, 15 years experience to get the, or knowledge or, and, and, and learning from other people to get, to design your own property. Exactly. Well, and, um, and all the mistakes too. I mean, I made so many mistakes along the way. Um, even I've made huge mistakes up here on this property. The, the mistakes are literally 10 to one. There's one success for every 10 mistakes or nine mistakes or something like that. And so we we only really showcase the things that work. I mean, I do, I have published videos for years where I talk about these are my mistakes. Um, but there's so many of them that if I spent more time doing that, then I would be discrediting myself. Whereas when you showcase your successes, that gets people's attention. But people just don't understand the full context of what it took to get there from the beginning, from very humble beginnings. On the urban farm as well, you you had a number of ventures. You wrote a book. Um, so it wasn't just the urban farm. And then you started turning farms. That must have been a good experience for your consultant. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. I mean, I, I then my book came out in 2016. And I mean, prior to that, I I'd already been on the road. I it, it was it was really funny when I started my urban farm because it just seemed like I was at the right place at the right time and everybody was just so ready for this kind of thing that after my first year of farming, I was teaching workshops down in California. I was literally after one year of farming, being invited as a bona fide expert to come and teach workshops. I think it was, you know, I, I'm a fairly personable guy and, and my, my background in music kind of lent itself to me being a performer in some ways and, and entertaining people, but also having the uh, capacity to communicate the ideas well. And so, yeah, many years before I even wrote my book, I was already on the road speaking in the United States primarily uh, and doing all kinds of consulting gigs. But yeah, the book certainly made that go a lot bigger. And then I'm getting invited to bigger events and, 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 and such and was on the road all the time, especially in the winter. But yeah, it was a big turning point for sure. And then you started the, uh, from the field, the community. Yep. Yep. That's right. In, in, uh, in 2019, I published from the field.tv, um, which was basically a platform for me to post my videos that would do better than they would on YouTube in the sense that hour long videos on YouTube just don't 
monetize very well. And so I wanted to say, Hey, to people who wanted to support my work, you could, you can do that. And I, I'll put forward very long form detailed content. So I did that. And then in 2021, um, we changed, we built up another platform called freedomfarmers.com, which is an education platform going more specifically at areas of regenerative agriculture and small scale farming that I don't myself do very well. We started to bring in other experts. And so that's kind of where we are today. Now, uh, freedomfarmers.com is the main platform. We've kind of amalgamated from the field.tv into that. And then we also run a program called the Homestead Accelerator, where we find people, uh, rural properties uh, that that meet a, a, a pretty strict criteria of, of uh, what a homestead would be. It's got to have food, water, energy, shelter, has to has, have two sources of water. So we publish these properties um, every single week and we show people, hey, if you want to go move to this place, to this place, to this place, check out these property listings because these homesteads have more or less what you need to go in there and just start. So that's kind of where we're at now. Yeah, I watched a few of them. Uh, sorry if it's this way, lad. Uh, going through all these things, but it's sort of they share all the different possibilities. And I like the fact yep. you just didn't stick to one thing. You diversified. You done everything, and everything sort of supports everything. So it's like a guild of it products does. that that you do, and then on top of it, the content creation is sort of the key. The all of it. Yeah, and you know what? What you said there really hit the nail on the head. For especially for me, is the, the idea of a guild, planting guilds, and, and as we know them in permaculture. But yeah, that that the, the the primary principle of stacking functions within permaculture has been my guiding principle my entire career, is that I've always tried find to 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 find ways that things stack into one another, so that one action isn't just yielding one thing, but it's yielding many things, or perhaps making other things easier along the way. So I, I I've I've incorporated that into everything in my entrepreneurial career. Um, as well as I did my urban farming business when that was going. And now here on my larger homestead, it's the exact same principles as stacking functions and creating guilds um, as often as we can. Yeah, it's so powerful. Uh, so you mentioned that you, you, uh, when you're running your business and you're an entrepreneur, you, you implement the permaculture principles. Do you want to tell us a bit more about that? Yeah. Just how you approach um, it? Yeah, I mean, one, one example um, early on in my career, as far as a, a implementing a permaculture principle, was that I was getting invited to go and do public talks everywhere, all around, all, mostly in the United States at first, and, and then later around in Canada and other countries in Europe and, and uh, New Zealand and Australia as well. Um, I found that if I'm going to travel somewhere, I might as well do something else while I'm there. So it's where I kind of started to just do a lot more international consulting. So I would get invited to speak somewhere and then I started doing consulting gigs. So, okay, I'm going to fly out to, you know, Boston. I might as well do some consulting while I'm out there on top of the speaking gig. And then what I also started doing is organizing farm-based workshops on, on farmer's land uh, on, on different farmers' lands around the U.S. that were protégés of mine. So I had, I would stack so many things into doing one thing. And so that was that was one example. I mean, and 
as it pertains specifically, we could you, you could ask me other more specific questions regarding that if you want. But there, yeah, I mean, it's it's been a, it's been the foundational principle for me for for many years in so many different ways. I think it's just trying to share and trying to encourage people to to look at their business and their life through the lens of permaculture. And um, you you did write a a video a few years ago. Remember, uh, criticizing not criticizing critiquing permaculture and where and where it had failed. Uh, yes, and it, and it it generated some. Uh, Feedback. Uh, do you still? Uh, how do you think of that now? Looking back, with five years later, now you're on your homestead. Has has it moved on any from from that time? Yeah. So I mean, in regards to that that video, number of years ago, I was more of a of a critique of uh, permaculture and its application to agriculture than it was specifically to permaculture because permaculture is a design. Uh, methodology that uses nature as its primary observational foundation and applying things that we can observe in nature and, and using them in other ways. And so in that video is more about agriculture. And so, you know, I don't think I would change my position on it much, but now um, that I'm doing more permaculture now than I've ever done in the past, specifically on my land, I think it's still, I think it still stands. Like, I don't, I don't know if, if, if much would change unless if you have something specific in that video, you'd like no, to address. No, I was just, could, uh, I, I, always that, but... I always remember causing a bit of a stir at the time. Like, uh, Richard Perkins, uh, he gave his perspective on it. I just, it just popped into my head today. I was thinking that's right. I mean, that video. Yeah. Yeah. And it was funny. Uh, and you know, uh, I remember Jeff Lawton who I've met on a number of occasions. He read, cause I also wrote it in a, a article on medium and Jeff liked it. He said, you're totally bang on. And, and because again, I was being specific about its application. And so I think that's where people, people have a tendency to get offended by things just because of a clickbait title. And that, <laughs> and to be totally honest, that video was intended to do that. That's why it got a lot of views. Right. So, you know, people just, people often get offended by the title and they don't actually listen to the substance. So I think most people were offended because of that. Yeah. I I love people getting offended in permaculture circles. It's yeah, uh, it's you're, pretty funny. You're, you're you're not doing my type of permaculture, and it's like it's it's a tool. It's not a it's a way to look at things for me anyway. It's not yes. it's not a dogma I love by. It's it's just you have to apply it where you can. And I, exactly. I just find I, I find it quite amusing when, especially when it comes to money. Uh no, money's not permaculture. Corporations not. It's like well, you have to have business. You have to love. You have to create a surplus, and then That's it's right. like. Chapter 14 is often just dismissed in the PDC. And it's just like, well, that's how your whole economy is supposed to work. That's sort of probably the most important chapter. Well, it is because we all have bills to pay. And so, <laughs> and I think, I think that's why I got so much traction in the permaculture world, though. I'd never taken a PDC, never wanted to. Um, actually, I did want to at one point, but I decided to just do my own thing. I've always just found it more valuable to row your own boat. Uh, and so, I think, but I've got so much uh, popularity in the permaculture space because people just saw that and said, well, here's a guy just rowing his own boat. He's just doing his own thing. He's not asking for for permission. He's not asking for an opinion from the permaculture people if this is permaculture or not. I just didn't care. I just did my thing and it worked. And a lot of permaculture people came over to my side in the sense that they saw, well, it's better to make some money for your living, doing something you like. Sure, it might not be the ultimate articulation or expression of permaculture, as we've seen it in the permaculture design manuals and things like that, but it's better because at least you're making money and paying your bills. 
doing something that's close than uh, trying to make a career as a PDC instructor, right? Which is most people don't succeed at that. Looking at the amount of people that have taken PDCs and the amount of people that teach them, it's 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 a total failure in that regard. And so I think I think people in the permaculture space found me refreshing because it was just like, hey, here's a guy just doing it and not asking permission. And then now you're, as you said, you're practicing it more fully on your own property. So you've Way more learned, now. You've learned all that knowledge and you wouldn't have got there if you had a, just uh, wanted to be a purist or. Exactly. And then that's the thing that, that that's where a lot of permaculture people get stuck up is trying to be purists and trying to set these um, unreasonable benchmarks of what, what, uh, you know, what constitutes a good permaculture design. People get so hung up in their own limiting beliefs instead of just like looking at these things as tools and that we can use them at our discretion. We don't have to ask permission from the, the permaculture community at large. We can just do it. And that's yeah. what Bill Mollison would have told you to do anyways. Yeah. Do it, fail, do it again. <laughs> you, that's right. Until you succeed. So what's, what's the biggest, uh, so moving on to your property now that we are, have you learned any big permaculture lessons uh, through failure or success on your property? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, many. Um, oh, man. Um, even though I took a lot of time to observe. So when I bought this property, I bought it in the fall of um, 2020, September 2020. I bought this place. I didn't move on here full time for a full year because I had to sell my house in Kelowna before I could move here full time with my family. Um, but I did work on it. Like we would come up here because there's, there's a little house that we still live in. Uh, we're in the middle of building, you know, you can kind of see a bit of my construction over here. We're still building our house and all that. Um, I knew that time and observation was very important. I knew that really from the foundational Bill Mollison texts that talked about spending the time to observe and interact with a physical place and see how the seasons change and things like that. I did that. Um, but in a way, I wish I would have done that longer with some things. I made some decisions too hastily thinking that I'd put a garden over here or I'd put a greenhouse or a structure over there. And I modified the landscape too fast. Whereas I could have done way less at the beginning because there's some things I needed to do right, right away in order to be there. And that's a given for most times that you're on, if you buy a property, you have to do something to get there. Uh, but I wish I actually would have done less at the beginning opposed to more. I went too hardcore at the beginning because the COVID lockdowns were happening and stuff. And, and, and I was a little bit nervous that I might not have an opportunity to do any of this again, because runaway inflation, the building materials were three times what they are now. Um, I did too much at the beginning, whereas I could have kept doing stuff. I could have kept working. I could have kept busy. I could have kept spending money, but I could have spent a little bit more time. And if I'd seen another season, a full year on my property, it would have, I would have made some better decisions. And, you know, taking some areas with trees down, I regretted doing, I shouldn't have done it so quickly. Um, it's a lot of little things. Overall, I'm very happy with where we're at here. And, and I don't know how much I would actually change, but definitely having more time to observe and interact with it 
would have been far more beneficial to me now and would have saved me a lot of money too, actually. I think you're right at the time. I remember as well, too, there was a lot of, a lot of shit happening. It was like, yeah, you have to act or you might not got it. Stuff done. That's it. Um, yeah. So that's understandable mistakes or. Uh, I, I feel so too. You know, sometimes I really kick myself. I mean, when I, when I bought my first um, batch of materials to start building all this stuff, I spent probably $50,000 more than I needed to because I didn't necessarily need all those materials right away. Anyways, I, I, my crew, my building crew is very limited. It was me and two other guys. And, um, I was paying ridiculous inflation on things. And so in hindsight, it would have been slow down a little bit. All the stuff that's happening now is going to continue for a long time. And you just have to stay consistent and, and, and just keep pushing forward. Don't try to do it all at once. And that's what I would say to people now too, is it the urgency to get on the land is probably greater than it's ever been for people who want to get out of the cities and stuff like that. But if you rush it too much, then uh, you can risk doing what I did, and, and you, you can you can you can deploy too many resources too early on that you might need later on when conditions change. So, I think it's important to be slow and steady, and just and just consistent. Not necessarily slow. You can do some things fast. Things some, certain things need to be done fast, like getting access to a property so that you can actually get in there and start working on it. You need to get your access in fast if if it isn't already there, but. There's so many other things that you can slow down with, especially when it comes to earthworks and or taking down trees. Those are the two things that I would say um, slow down on and really, really pay attention. I mean, doing a proper survey on your property is really important. That That's what I did early on, and it was extremely helpful. Did a full ortho mosaic survey, flew a drone up, three-dimensional, everything had a perfect 3D capture of my property so I could see where all the water systems were moving and the snow melt and all that. I did that. I'm happy that I did that. Um, but even still, I jumped into some things that I that I could have waited on and, and it would have saved me money and and making some mistakes that I sort of regret. And particularly, uh, and that was for you with skills. If someone's doing that without the skills and relying on other people, it's even more of a stress. That's right. You mentioned- That's exactly it. What type of survey do you mention there just for, for listeners? Uh, uh, an, an ortho mosaic survey. So what this is a, it's a fairly common practice with, with permaculture consultants. What you do is you fly a drone up in the air and you use, there's different softwares you can use. There's the one I use is called drone deploy. And what it does is it, you, you basically get a, a, you start with a map on Google maps and you find your property on there and then you plot out the area that you want to capture. The drone goes up in the air and it flies in a systematic pattern over the area that you've selected. And it takes a photo every two seconds in the same stationary position so that it triangulates from each photo to get a 3D rendering of all the topography on the land. So if the land doesn't have a lot of trees, it's extremely accurate. It's when you, where you get into trees that it becomes harder because the drone can't see the ground. But then that's where you have to use um, a, a, basically a surveying uh, equipment. So we used a GIS system that had a, uh, a rover unit that you walk around with and you pinpoint on the ground. So you go into areas in the trees that you want to get. You want to get some samples of where the ground is there. 
And then there's a, a base station unit that's up at a high point that uh, you, you have visual line of sight from. And then it triangulates between satellites. And then you can walk this thing. So we did a combination where we did the orthomosaic survey to capture the three-dimensional area. And then we used the GIS equipment to go into the treed areas that I wanted to capture topography and to find out where the lowest points where water moves, basically. So I did that in the first month of buying this property. And I did it again this year, actually. I got an updated one, which is kind of cool to see. But um, so worth your time if you're on broad acreage and you want to make some critical decisions of where you want to move water for in, in terms of harvesting or storage, or it could be in terms to move it away in the case of, say, drainage. Uh, incredibly useful. Yeah, I've seen the results where uh, some of the results from, uh, I'm not sure if it was yours or other places, but it is quite quite amazing. It gives you some detail. Mm -hmm. And so you have uh, recently put in ponds. Any other plans for your for your property? Yeah, yeah, a lot more plans. Yeah, I've got, I did those, I did two ponds this year. One is a catchment pond and then the other is a reservoir pond. So the catchment pond just naturally catches water. It's in an area that the, it's a watershed essentially. And I, I basically just hollowed out what was already there. So that's, that pond already just full by virtue of the snow melting and waxing and waning in the fall. Uh, and then um, that'll capture a ton of water in the spring as the snow melts, about 9 million liters actually passes through this area. And then that gets pumped up into the reservoir pond that can hold the water for, you know, dozens of applications. Uh, there's another pond I'd like to put in. There's two more ponds I could put in maybe next year, but we'll see. Um, next year or this coming growing season, I should say, my priorities is to finish my house so that we can live a bit more comfortably as my, my, my kids are getting older. And and then finish the gardens. I've got, I finished um, landscaping and doing all the earthworks for a food forest area. It's a quarter acre and there's 400 trees that are going in there. And about a quarter of those are fruit bearing trees and canes. And then the other 300 trees are all support species that go in. And so these are trees that fix nitrogen, create biomass for chop and drop, things like that. And so that's all, those trees are all going in in March. That'll be a big move. Uh, I spent all summer doing the earthworks because this 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 piece of land is terraced on a southeast slope. It's terraced, and then there's there's these these they're not swales. They're terraces that are slightly off contour so that the water drains out in one direction when we get big rain events. Um, and so I'm going to finish that, and then I've got one more garden terrace to finish, uh, another three thousand square feet which about for garden areas. And then I'm going to be put in a high tunnel, another greenhouse on that. And then I'm going to build a, another greenhouse that's going to be used for drying firewood to quickly dry firewood in the summer. And then that will be most of the garden stuff. And then from there, it'll just be a lot of beautification landscape. I just lost your beautification with your back on. Uh, no, it's, oh, it, oh, it, it, it never stops, does it? <laughs> no, it, ne it never stops. It, it, but uh, that's what I wanted. I, I knew that buying this property and doing this would be probably a five-year endeavor to really get it to where it's, say, 90% complete and, and it's operating and we're using it and, and it's increasing our lifestyle. 
Um, but I always want projects. I love projects. I love doing landscaping and earthworks. I'm a pretty good machine operator now. I have my own uh, four ton, four and a half ton excavator that I'm I'm a very good operator at, or good enough that I can do most of the work myself now. And so that's the kind of stuff I like doing. It's fun. But but I, but when I got here, I prioritized the food, like my food gardens, my electricity system, my off grid system, and my water systems were done before my house because i i understand the priority of those things more than living in a nice house so i think a lot of other people would have built the house first um but not me i did the other things that are more imperative to our survival on the mountain than the house yeah which be but you still had shelter exactly we still uh, had so shelter you, you had shelters so it was uh it was, it was still okay That's um right. so just to go back to the, the business side of it uh, particularly the online side of it. You have a number of online businesses, courses, and how do you manage all that? Do you have a team uh, or did you start doing it yeah. yourself and then get a team? I've had a team for a long time. Um, well, five years, I guess now. I, I Well, when I started from the field.tv, it was that year in 2019. It was everything at that point was still just me 100%. I would get a web designer to help me build a template for a website. And then I would still do everything else myself, all the day-to-day -day stuff. I did everything myself. In 2020, I brought in um, three strategic partners into the company to help me grow it and put in new infrastructure that I wasn't capable of doing myself. So at that point, we were three or four of us total uh, with little subcontractors here and there for certain things. And then in 2021, we brought in two new other partners who were operations partners, basically. And then we had a number of uh, employees in there. So really, as it is today, Freedom Farmers is about 10 to 12 people. 10, most like mostly it's 10 people. So that's partners and employees. And then um, that will change from time to time. Sometimes if we're working on a new project, a new course, we bring in some other subcontractors to help with the filming or something like that. And then it all just comes back to in-house editing and all that. But yeah, it's about, it's about 10 people. So yeah, it's, it's far beyond me at this point. And that was completely necessary to scale the kind of business that I, I have. There's no way I could have done it myself. So my team has been completely critical every step of the way. Yeah, so I think the important point is there you can't do it on your own, and because you, it, no, you're the face of it. It might look like you're a, a lone wolf at times, but like the partners are important. And they are, they are, and yeah, I am still the face of it, uh, and so I still work in it a lot. You know, I'm still all the courses that we publish are all from me in the sense that I found the expert. If it's if it's a course that's not done by me, I have three courses in our platform. Um, but we have 20, so the other 17 aren't me and we're adding more, uh, every, every, every other course creator in that platform was found by me. The relationship was brokered by me. I kind of butted them up to say, Hey, you know, you'd be really good at a course, you know? And so I found the talent essentially. So I'm still really involved in the business in that way. I don't do the day-to-day -day operations, any of that anymore, which is great, but I just do really high level stuff and creative stuff. Of course, people still see my videos that I post 
all that stuff is me. Uh, my videos, I edit myself. It's it's all me. There, there's a very small percentage of my videos that that weren't edited or created by me. Very small, like it's probably one percent or less. So most of it's still me. Um, but yeah, on, on the other stuff, I have a lot. I have a team. Like even with the Homestead Accelerator program that we do every week. Uh, just before we got on this call, that's what I was doing. I was reviewing our weekly properties. Um, that's three people to make that happen because we comb through hundreds of properties a week to boil them down to 10. And so we start with about 200 that gets to about a short list of 30 to 50. And then that goes filters down even more to 10 to 15 properties. And then sometimes I even eliminate a few of them in there. So there's all these steps and in order to scale anything, you have to have a team. Uh, having said that there is a sweet spot, you know, there, I would say, there was a sweet spot in 2019. I could look back and go, yeah, I was I was doing very well doing a lot of this myself. However, if you want to have a family or you want to have other obligations outside of work, you have to have a team at some point. You can only take it so far with just yourself. Otherwise, you really risk burning out. And at that point, I was really risking burning out because at that point, um, like I started posting videos in 2014, in January 2014. So I'm I'm on my 10 year anniversary now, is posting videos online. Um, I I was really starting to burn out about five years. Um, was that is that right? 20 yeah about four about four or five yeah about four or five years in, I was really hitting the threshold of what I could manage myself, and it was either okay you either have to just change something to make this easier for yourself so that you can sustain it, or you need to find other strategic partners that can take it to the next level. Uh, in so far as me just being able to maintain the lifestyle that I'd grown accustomed to without burning myself out or growing it and then giving a piece of the action to my, my team members so that they have an incentive to help grow it as well. Yeah. Uh, so say for example, uh, somebody who's doing permaculture, who's, uh, how would you advise them they start off doing YouTube and getting into the content creation? Any advice for them? You know what? These days, I, I don't, honestly. Yeah. Um, especially YouTube. You, YouTube is is a pretty dead platform, in my opinion. It's hard to find good content on YouTube. There's so much crap on there. Um, and there's so many people that are posers, to be honest. I'm not, I won't name names, but... There's so many people that just want to be content creators and they're, they're sort of marketing people before they're actually people that are experts in their subject. And because there's been such a long train of content on YouTube and then all these marketers that learned what are the best things to do as a YouTube creator, people start with that. They start with what's the best way to be a YouTube creator opposed to what's the best way for, to me, for me to be the best expert in my field. And so I would say YouTube is is not really worth it anymore. It's difficult to monetize. It's too competitive and it censors everything. Um, I would say Twitter X is, is actually the best place to be as a content creator right now. Uh, I'm seeing new people, all kinds of creators that I would have never seen on YouTube. I'm seeing them on Twitter or X and they're getting good traction and they're making good impressions and the, and the platform's changing a lot too. So to me, it looks like if you're if you want to create content that's actually real content that has value, X is the best place to do it. Forget TikTok, Snapchat, YouTube. 
Instagram, all those places are about instant gratification. And it's hard to deliver content that's valuable with the algorithm of instant gratification. Just look at TikTok. It's the worst. It's the worst of them all because it's just flipping through two second videos. It's just, it's just complete garbage. There's nothing, there's no, there's no um, incentive to create depth and detail. Whereas X in its algorithm seems to promote that. So I, I think, yeah, if somebody wants to get involved in there, I would jump on that train because it's still, Twitter's become a new thing. X, and and, and I at first I hated the, 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 how he rebranded it to X, but now I kind of understand it a bit more in the sense that it is not what Twitter used to be. I was on Twitter a little bit in the early days. I didn't use it as much as Facebook or YouTube or Instagram, but I did use it a bit. Um, where what it is now is completely different. And it's kind of like if you talk to people in marketing or social media, they'll tell you that it's important to get be an early adopter in a new platform. And and X is that. It is it is a new platform, even it's because it's been completely changed. So I would say go there, but I would say more fundamentally, make sure that you're really good in your craft before you start making videos because there's so many videos out there and there's so much garbage content out there. And I know personally and have met literally dozens of creators that started with, I want to be an influencer before they knew they wanted to do permaculture or off-grid or homesteading or farming. They started with that first. See, I started with, I just want to farm. And if I can make a living at it, great. And then the content thing came after. I think that served me well in my career. And I think right now with it being so competitive, you're better off first making sure that you're really good in your craft and that you have a message that people want to hear before you go out there and share it. Yeah. Or uh, to do what I'm doing. Uh, I'm coming from a learning point of view and I just function stack the podcast. Like I would never get to speak to the people I do if I wasn't doing a podcast. So I use it as, sure. a, ve I use it as, ve as a vehicle to learn. And, yeah. Uh, and try and nurture them relationships. So, uh, well, you know what, that's how I, that's why I started on YouTube. I, when I first started on YouTube, I didn't even know you could make money at YouTube. I had no idea for years, for two or three years, I didn't make any money on YouTube and didn't even know it was a possibility until this one year I was down in, in Southern California teaching some workshops and a guy I, I kind of knew of, he said he was making 500 bucks a month at YouTube. I'm going, are you kidding me? He's making 500 bucks a month on YouTube. Okay. I can do that. But I was primarily motivated when I started to just put stuff out there so that it would bring people to me to learn from. And it did because experts reach out to one another. And so I got exactly what I wanted much in the same way you're running your podcast is it was an opportunity for me to meet people that were, that were my peers and doing something similar so that we could exchange ideas basically. Yeah. I, I, I do enjoy X. Uh, a lot of time for me, it's like, uh, it, it's late at night. It's like one or two in the morning here because of the time difference. So that's only right. a bad thing. And I think you and uh, the guy you were chatting the other night, Smith, uh, sometimes yes. has stuff's on late at night. And uh, I was supposed to go on. Uh, he was he done a PDC over the summer on 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 X, which was. Uh, but then I, I couldn't get to speak because I was driving home from work. <laughs> oh jeez. <laughs> so it's just it's uh, uh so it's just uh he I think he said he he struggled to get permaculture people on X. Um, yes. So I, I just tend to post on it rather than I'd say engage in conversations because uh, for me, typing, by the time I've typed it, 
uh, and, and rewritten it a few times, I'd rather just talk. <laughs> sure. And that's where the spaces come uh, in. Yeah. And also where the video, the, the video element of X is changing very, very quickly. I'm already seeing it in real time as I am using the platform. It's happening. And so um, that's all going to change. And it, you'll be able to navigate it at, at, at some point soon, just like YouTube, where you can just go to videos and just see that. So that that's all coming that from what I hear. So, yeah. But but for me, I like the words. Um, I, I think so much of social media has gone away from the written word and just gone to instant gratification like Snapchat and TikTok. That that's the thing I've kind of rejected. I just don't, I can't stand that kind of content. I don't learn anything from it and it actually just pisses me off. And so I'm liking uh, X in that regard is that I'm kind of getting the best of both worlds. I can write if and when I want to, but I can also just publish videos if I want to as well. Yeah, I must uh, I must jump on a space so <laughs> when I see he's on there. Uh, Curtis, thanks very much. Uh, it's been it's been great having you on. And yeah, any any parting words of wisdom? <laughs> yeah, I would say. Um, it's never too late to start anything and you just have to start. It's the hardest step to make is to start, but then every step from there gets easier and the decisions get easier. The more you, uh, start making decisions. So the, the first decisions are the hardest to make, but then once you've made decisions and you're, you're standing on a foundation of previous decisions and actions, making decisions going forward, get easier because you understand your own context better. And I would say, in a roundabout way, that's that really is what permaculture is about in so many different ways. If we think about a design science based on uh, nature, what we can observe in natural systems, we can apply all these things to our own situation, but it always comes down to your context. And what I always like to leave people with is don't compare yourself to me or anybody else. Only compare yourself to who you were yesterday. And then that is a great benchmark to measure your success. And that's great advice. Uh... I would definitely second that. And for me, I always say, start where you are, do what you can, just do something. Because uh, you'll know whether you like it or not, or you, you'll be able to move on from there. If you're standing still, you're going backwards, basically. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, thanks very much. And for listeners, that was Curtis Stone. And we just we have a course out at the minute, PDC to Professional, where we're teaching digital design. So it's basically, if, if, you're, if you like to draw or sketch your designs, and you want to learn how to do them digitally and learn some technology as well along the way. Uh, the link's in the description. Uh, Curtis, thanks very much. My pleasure, brother. Uh